0: Welcome to the Wedding Film Academy podcast, your go-to source for learning to create stunning wedding films and run a successful business. Here's your host, Lumix Luminary and wedding filmmaker Jordan Bunch. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wedding Film Academy podcast. You all have had the distinct pleasure and honor of having Taylor Freaking Juarez be your host for the last month or so while I was working on another project. Uh, for those of you who are connected with me on Facebook, you know we're working on a big um, commercial project right now of our own. This is kind of a personal project that is also kind of functioning as a pretty cool marketing opportunity for us, but we're producing this show called Mavericks. Uh, it's a web series all about entrepreneurship. But that has what uh, been what's taken me away from the podcast for the last month. But thankfully for all of you, Taylor has stepped in and done an incredible job with the Shooter and Editor series. So that was fantastic. And I am refreshed and back and excited to be here with my good friends, Alex and Whitney Douglas. Thanks for coming, guys. Oh, yeah.
1: Man. Yeah, we're excited to be on. It's good to uh, finally get to catch up with you again. I know we've been trying to make this happen for a little bit. We've certainly missed uh, your company, and it's uh, good to get to sit down with you and talk shop.
0: No doubt. So this is actually a podcast that we've been talking about making forever. Like Since last February, I have wanted to make this particular episode with you guys because in February... Um, we met each other at wedi- uh, the Wedding and Portrait Photographers International Conference in Las Vegas, WPPI, and I had the honor of being one of the judges for the wedding and commercial um, film competition there at WPPI, and you guys had the top film from the whole thing. So the wedding, um, the, th- there's two sides to it. There's the wedding side, there's the corporate side and you guys won the corporate side, but also when they put the top films, top two films together on the wedding side and the corporate side, they come out with one master uh, master film winner, and you guys came out on top with that, and uh, for this particular film that we're going to talk about today was the one that, that took home uh, the grand prize there, so I, I um, was just blown away by this film when I saw it, and I thought, I have to have an episode dedicated to just this film because it was incredible. So thank you guys for coming to talk about this specifically and just kind of dive in because this is such a huge masterpiece. I feel like it, it deserves its own standalone episode. So yeah, <laughs> thanks.
1: Thanks, man. Uh, very kind words you uh, said about us in the film. And uh, yeah, we were totally surprised or you know taken back when uh they called our name for that award um so many you know distinguished filmmakers and uh photographers in the room and uh yeah it's just it's really cool to be able to stand up there and uh say thank you yeah we put a lot of time into that project so it's cool to see it kind of pay back a little bit
0: no doubt well you can tell that a lot of time was to put into it i will say that for sure i think it was, it was really cool because I had seen the film a couple of times before because of just the judging process that we went through um, when we were looking at all the films. But it was fun watching it in a room full of, I don't know, several hundred people who are all artists themselves. And to see the way that various parts of the film literally took the breath out of the room um, was just sort of – it was just a cool moment. I think to be able to see it on a big screen like that in a room full of, not just a room full of people. It's one thing to have your, you know, your film viewed in front of a large audience. What a cool honor that would be. But even then to have it aired in front of a group of your peers of other filmmakers and, and photographers uh, who, who are, you know, operate at an extremely high level. And then for them to, look at your film and have their breath taken away audibly. You could hear it in the room. It was just such a cool experience. Um, so I can't imagine the emotions that were running through the two of you guys as you kind of went through that experience, but it had to be pretty cool.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, was
2: super gratifying. Yeah. yeah,
1: it was pretty cool because that project was kind of secret at that time. Like we hadn't released it yet, so that was kind of the first unveiling of it. Uh, we ended up releasing it like a week after. WPPI. So I think it was cool just for the whole audience to be surprised by it and not have it be something that, you know, people had seen in their feeds for Mm -hmm. a week or something. So I think that kind of added an extra kind of layer
0: of uh, fun to it. No doubt. And the other thing that I was sort of thinking about as I was reflecting on it is at the award show, each of the, um, you know, each of the photos that are, you know, sort of nominated for um, the various awards that they have are all shown on screen and just some incredible, a uh, mind blowing photography, um, that was displayed on the screen. But I think that's one of the interesting things about WPPI is it's always really had a photographer's, uh, you know, kind of, uh, photographer photography was the main focus, right? It always has been kind of the main focus of WPPI, um, although the the film side is certainly certainly growing and we had a ton of submissions. There were well over 100 submissions for the film competition, so that was fantastic to see. But it was really cool to see the way that the photography community um, held held the film industry up in such high regard because of y'all's work. I think the, the film that y'all created definitely elevated sort of the status of Of a filmmaking in that in that crowd, and so I thought that was really kind of a cool um, byproduct of it as well, to really kind of up the level of how WPPI as a conference sort of views the filmmaking industry for for wedding and commercials. So, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, man.
1: Yeah, we had uh, uh, taken first place for the commercial stuff a couple years ago, but we lost out to the wedding side and they only play the grand award winner on, on screen. Right. And so, yeah, I don't know, it's pretty cool. Like the, the photographers, they get their photos shown on screen, but it lasts a couple of seconds. And to be able to hold like that whole audience's attention and, and captivate them for, I don't know, four minutes or whatever, it feels like pretty cool to be able to put them under your spell for that long. And uh, yeah, it's pretty gratifying for sure.
0: No doubt. Well, if, you, if you're if you listening to this and you've been living under a rock and for some reason have not seen this film, then definitely uh, go check out at sculptingwithtime.com. You can see it there. You can also see it on, see it on Vimeo. It's called Dream of Life, Alan Watts. Um, so make sure you go and watch that because we're going to be diving in deep to some of the details of how you guys accomplished such an amazing piece um and so yeah, you need the context. If you haven't seen it, go do it again, go watch it. If you have seen it, maybe go refresh yourself. Uh watch it again and then come back and listen to the rest of this episode. Before we do that. Um cool. So I want to just um if is there anything uh it sound like maybe you want to get get at something there before we dive in? Oh, no, no. Go I was it, just man. trying to Okay. Get cool. her to no read worries. on something.
1: Whatever. No big deal.
0: <laughs> no worries. Okay, well, let's dive right in then. I want to talk about... Um, I think one of the things that uh, that I thought about throughout the film was that, A, um, you guys clearly did this over a very long period of time. Um, this was not... Uh, it it was very clear to me that this wasn't like a, okay, um, we're going to go for a month and we're going to go out and shoot all this stuff for for the Alan Watts Foundation and then we're going to make this film. There was a very different approach to this, clearly. So talk to me just about the overall approach to creating this film.
2: Yeah, so I think the way we could start this out as talking about how this opportunity even came to us um you know we released that singapore and indonesia wedding film about a year and a half ago now and alex wanted to use a little bit of alan watts audio in the film and we reached out to the foundation you know alex and i were both huge alan watts fans i'd read him since high school and you know we weren't going to rip his audio so we wanted to reach out to license it and got a hold of Mark, who's Alan's son and runs the foundation, and inquired about licensing the snippet of audio. And he saw the film and fell in love with it and looked at a lot of our stuff. We had a phone call with him. We had so many kind of crossing paths throughout our lives and our interests. He was a filmmaker also. That, we went um, to
1: the same uh, art school, San cool. Francisco Art Institute. Mm-hmm. Really yeah. cool. Since he went like in the 80s and I went and like, 2000-something. Yeah.
2: He spent a lot of time dedicated to similar projects, uh, the American Indian movement. Yeah. And so we just really hit it off with him. And he loves that wedding film so much. And he said, you know, could you just edit this film and just edit out the wedding stuff and make a film for my foundation out of this footage? And we said, okay, well, you know, that's an interesting idea, but we could probably do better than that and, you know, make this grander than just B-roll from a wedding film that has a few temple shots in it with your dad's audio.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then, like, uh, growing up, like, in college, I saw this film. Or not growing up in college. (laughs) Once I was in college, I saw this film called uh, Baraka. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's by Ron Fricke and uh, Godfrey Reggio, And they basically... Went to like twenty-something countries, and it's shot in seventy millimeter, and it's like complete Hollywood production level. Over a decade of time. Yeah, they they did it over yeah, like ten years. Um, But you know they're shooting on giant rigs and using giant dolly systems and using pretty much every piece of equipment that you could use on a Hollywood set. And but I, I saw those films in college, and they really. Uh, had this huge influence on me. They did, they did this other series called the Squatsi trilogy, Koyana Squatsi, Nakoya Squatsi, Poya Squatsi, whatever. Uh, but uh, it's all just kind of really ambient music that's probably really outdated at this point. <laughs> and uh, the imagery like still stands the test of time, but it's just kind of uh, meditative, kind of proposing questions on. Uh, nature versus technology and looking at uh, capitalism and how, and just looking at culture really more than anything.
2: All through imagery, nonlinear yeah, imagery, uh, no script, nothing like that. It just kind of takes you on this visual quest through uh, the universe, yeah. right?
1: And that kind of always informed to some degree. I mean, I was already like really interested in some, uh, stuff that I got exposed to in art school, experimental filmmakers that just kind of documented, as a photographer would, uh, their kind of environment, but just with moving picture film. Um, and this kind of was something, the Quazi and uh, Baraka stuff just really resonated with that side of me. And so, you know, after college, I got involved, I did a feature-length doc on the expansion of the Panama Canal, um, social, economic, environmental implications, and looking at uh, stuff like that. And then I did a project on the Native Americans and the Lakota Sioux Reservation in South Dakota. Uh, but just kind of all uh, the seemingly influenced, you know, there was a narrative thread in them, but still seemingly influenced by the power of the imagery and how it could stand on its own. And that each image had this weight and gravity to it and really uh, spoke um without there needing to be a narration behind it to kind of explain the, the gravity of it. Um, yeah. So that stuff all kind of influenced me. And then with this, with this kind of initial meeting with Mark Watts, Whitney and I both looked at each other because she saw those films too in college and looked at each other and be like, wow, this could be like our own little mini Baraka. Uh, mm-hmm. And because of our weddings taking us kind of across the world uh now and again Uh, we collect a lot of b-roll just even from our weddings Um, and so we knew we already had a cache of footage from there and then uh,
2: yeah just from so many different places material that had just sitting in the archives that had never seen the light of day Um, but all of this really unique content that was shot all over the world that was representative of you know the human experience and that's what Alan Watts' writings and philosophy was all about is just this larger, larger bigger picture of humanity and so we realized uh, while we were talking to Mark because he had watched a lot of our other work and was really engaged with it um, that this was a great opportunity to kind of pull shots from the archives do some specific shots for them um, going to India, going to Cambodia, spending a lot of time to get some of the narrative threads that his dad talks about in the specific passage we were well, doing a film for. Yeah,
1: I'll backtrack just a touch and just say that like we knew that we had this imagery we could pull from. this. There was a short doc that uh, we didn't end up having enough money to fund in the end on, on the Lakota Sioux um, that we gathered all this footage for. But we knew, okay, we probably have four locations, maybe a little bit more um, with the Singapore and Indonesia stuff, maybe I guess six or seven at that point. And then we just realized, okay, we need to seize this opportunity and this could really be just a really powerful, beautiful project. So when he told us the audio that he wanted us to use, um, the, the narrative, narration audio, we listened to it and we heard him talking about Hinduism. the audio and at that point we were just like hey this is a really you know obvious kind of way to take this and that this film can kind of show this multi uh kind of you know religion is sort of there are all the different religions are like a spoke and a wheel and they all go to the center and that you know unnamed god is the god of all gods type of ideology that i feel like Mm. alan watts was talking about and so uh we can go to india since that's where that is the kind of epicenter of hinduism and uh if he you know a lot of alan watts speaking is about buddhism as well so we introduced the idea of well let's go to cambodia as well so we can go to Ankar wat and some of these areas where there's just a, a really heavy buddhist presence and uh Mark was really excited about that idea, just to have something that we were more in control of versus just using uh, locations that we had kind of collected.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think he realized after this conversation that the idea of just editing down a wedding film with B-roll was uh, really yeah. small thinking in terms of, you know, representing his father's work and what what you could really do with this whole idea for a film.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, boy! I love the way that that developed from, like you said, from the, from the roots of, yeah. Take the take the wedding and take out the couple, and you know, and and then it turned into this this grand thing um, that's you know shot in how many countries? Ten countries. Yeah. Wow.
1: Um, I think one thing that I mentioned in a forum a long time ago regarding this film that I just think is kind of pertinent uh, is just that. You know, as a filmmaker, you're an artist, but you're also forced to be kind of a businessman. And right. it, uh, I think one thing that we don't realize or that we it's easy to forget is that anyone that you're talking to, you don't really know when an opportunity is going to arise. But anyone you're kind of casually talking to, they could probably use a film about something, you know. So, like, always just kind of have in the back of your head that there's an opportunity to kind of figure out a way to collaborate with, with a, yeah. any anyone that I'm interacting with, and so that's this turned out as just a basic, or this started out as just a basic. Hey, can I license your dad's audio? And then parlayed that kind of into we're making a mini kind of baraka film, and let's travel to India for over a month, and you know spend some time in Cambodia as well. And now we have. Some, let's make something some just epic. That we have cataloged, and let's make something epic, and it's going to be a film that covers uh, ten countries.
0: Yeah, wow. <laughs> I love that. There's so much to dive into just with uh, you know even just the logistics of all that. But and I think we'll get into some of that as we go through. But I watched the film again as a refresher before our conversation, and so I want to. I've, I've written some notes here about different things, and so this kind of goes in a little bit of a chronological order at, at some level, um, but I want to talk about, um, I think first, maybe just like the intentionality, so you knew ahead of time, like this was the, the passage that you were going to use here from, uh, from Alan Watts, so how did that drive your intentionality? You spoke to this just in terms of sort of the locations and some of that. But, um, yeah, tell me more about how the the words from Alan uh, really drove your intentionality with the different shots that they ended up making into this film. Well,
2: I, I think early on we realized that Alan Watts, he he takes so many different approaches at trying to hint at things and hint at these universal truths and... It was more about creating a real feeling, um, this nonlinear feeling with imagery where some of it would really be well paired with what he was speaking about and some was just, um, you know, setting that tone. Yeah, a a subconscious, subliminal kind of viewing. And so I think we knew early on that that was important, that you weren't trying to literally break down imagery about what he was speaking to.
1: We, we know we just wanted all the footage that we were collecting to really speak to this kind of symbolic uh, representation of, like, human nature and, like, our struggle to kind of adapt to the modern era or just sort of... Our, our sense of spirituality yeah. maybe amidst that. Yeah, exactly. For sure. And so... <laughs> That's a cameo by our uh, (laughs) adorably cute puppy. Buddy, Um, come here. He's also a member of Sculpting with Time. He uh, sits (laughs) with me while I'm editing every day. But yeah. Um, So I think we were just sort of looking for just footage that really, or moments that really stood out while we were traveling that just felt Like they captured a sense of uh, humanity, of culture, of uh, spirituality, of uh, uh, vulnerability, of uh, just strong composition, you know, as well. Yeah. Um, And then just capture as much of that as we humanly could. And then just sort of trying to find moments where the imagery would sink with uh, what was being said and then allowing that to kind of uh, go slightly stream of conscious into something that was Mm. slightly less linear um, with the pairings and then have those sync points kind of reintroduce themselves um, at different points in the film.
2: That stream of consciousness is a super important concept to to grab onto and it was really well said. I mean, that was so much the intention behind the film as being this visual odyssey.
0: Um so yeah. Yeah. So I'm thinking about But sorry. Uh
1: I don't think I totally answered your question. I'll just go a little bit more into it for a second. Yeah, go for but, it. But uh basically we would just go around each city, we'd be there in a city for like three days, and we basically went to five or six cities in India over the course of three weeks or about a month. Um and so each city just uh, I'd have the Canon one DX two, I'd have it primarily on a camera strap, 24 to one Oh five image stabilized, uh, really tried to reduce our kit. Um, also in India, you don't really want to stand out. So, you know, there's, I mean, everyone we met was extremely friendly and we felt safe the whole time, but you also have to be smart. Um, mm. so yeah, having a low impact, small footprint, uh, kit that's really accessible so we kind of stripped it down to just uh, the 1dx2 isn't image stabilized so just having a lens that was image stabilized using camera strap 24 to 105 on a super 35 sensor that's like 35 to 150 um, maybe even a little more my mask a little off but uh so we just have that kit and we would kind of just ahead of time uh scout like on the internet and uh scout via whatever to kind of know the general areas that we wanted to go and then once we got to those cities uh, you know spend uh, a day kind of trying to scout but if something shows up you know and you need to film it film it but otherwise trying to see when the best light is um, try to see when the amount of people that you want um, in those locations it would be ideal for you, um, and a lot of this stuff isn't going to be on uh, wilderness like various websites. You're just going to have to kind of explore random alleyways and kind of get lost and stuff like that. Um, yep. So yeah, these shots don't just jump out at you like we had to do like a lot of kind of cutting yeah. through the the uh, back back woods and back roads to kind of find these things.
2: Well, and a lot of it, you know, it started just us planning our trip, and I. Our- our itinerary choosing certain cities because you know Varanasi is the holy capital of India and then choosing Jodhpur for some of its cinematic beauty and the bright colors and the richness of the culture and so yeah a lot of it began while we're sitting on our couch and in, in Texas trying to map out what kind of content we wanted and what we were gonna create and what cities really uh, set us up for the best opportunity to get that diversity
0: hmm. Yeah, I can't imagine the pre-production that goes into that. Even you know things like, um, like there was the the ceremonial uh, burial, the, the cremation, and the burial, mm-hmm. uh, and in the water. I mean the what what does pre-production look like on something like that I mean did you guys just stumble upon this or yeah tell me tell me that yeah, story there's got to be a good story behind good that actually Whitney,
2: you yeah know. those are the uh, burning ghats in Varanasi and Varanasi uh, pilgrims from all over the world all over India they go to bathe in the Ganges River um, as kind of a holy process to cleanse themselves. And people bring their deceased relatives to be cremated there on the river. And then the ashes are scattered into the river where the people are uh, bathing. And so this has been a holy ritual that's been in place for hundreds, thousands wow. of years. And the ghats are these super sacred uh, places. And, you know, a lot of the tourists in Varanasi, you get on these boats and you go down the river and you see kind of all aspects of spirituality and humanity and holy men and cows and everything. And you're allowed to pass by these crematoriums um, because, you know, these families are there and they're having a funeral for their loved ones. Um, But it's very prohibited about what type of, you're not supposed to take photos, you're supposed to be very respectful. And I think because of our background and the way that we always try to be genuine and get to know people and understand cultures and respect them, um, we were able to get access through our tour guide to go and visit one of these. Well, basically,
1: a guy knew a guy, and then we had to talk to that guy, and that guy knew another guy, and we talked to that guy. And then basically, that guy like allowed us to go in through some backdoor kind of entrance. And, wow.
2: So that uh, was a very low profile. I stayed on a boat far away. Women aren't even allowed inside the burning Gats, even if you're a family member um Mm. and alex went in as low profile as he could as respectfully as he could um and just tried to document it in a really human way
1: and they gave me like i don't know 15 minutes or 20 maybe 30 minutes max um to shoot there and uh yeah just tried to come up with or come away with some powerful imagery yeah
0: Wow. That's incredible. And I think, you know, like uh, hearing that story makes that shot even more incredible because it's something that the vast majority of people have never seen and will never see again just because of, like you talked about, the, the restricted access to it, even the, you know, female family members not having seen that. Um, you know, I think that's that's one of the the great things about this film is there's so many things throughout the film that most of us have never seen before. But then when it comes to something like that shot in particular, it's like, well, you know, good chance we'll never see anything like that again either. So um, another another shot I would think of that was uh, akin to that, something that we may never see uh, and we've probably never seen before, was the shot of these women uh, going down to, uh, I assume, some sort of well, um, where they're going down the steps? Uh, maybe say yeah. something about that.
1: Yeah, that was a, a really logistically complicated uh, shot for us to pull off
2: because it was scripted.
1: Yeah, it was. It was. A, I mean, we had to kind of produce that to some extent. That we don't really do that in any of our other shots, but this was such a special place and we just had a vision for this shot and uh, we wanted to do our best to try and execute it but basically uh, we were walking around Jodhpur, we found that step well um, we hired a driver uh, to take us back there the next day at the right time in the right light and uh, we basically told the driver hey if you can possibly um, help us fulfill this vision but we see you know one or two women going down there uh, to kind of drop off bread to like there's a lot of fish in, in the water. It's naturally spent, naturally spring-fed uh, well. And uh, is there any way we could sort of try and coordinate something where there are multiple women in their saris that Maybe are- Maybe like
2: seven different women. Yeah. Seven or eight ladies. Seven or eight ladies. Different <laughs> colorful saris. It got bigger and bigger the more we talked yeah, to him about they'd it. they
1: go down there and if we can capture it from this one specific angle, it would look gorgeous. Well, our English to his Indian translation uh, or Hindu, no, Indian, sorry, uh, translation uh, was tough enough as it is. And then his speaking to the women... The women
2: are like, why am I carrying this pot of water walking down these stairs? This is the most ridiculous thing that these American filmmakers are requesting. And, you know, if you see this space, it's like this M.C. Escher comes to life. The symmetry, the geometry, it's just so, so visually amazing and striking that we just knew, hey, we've got to get some graphic, really just trippy, cool shot here. And so the women kind of played along, and we kind of got them all staged on different levels of this step well. And, but all know, it
1: took was, like, one person to kind of lose interest, and then, like, the shot is, like, you know, falls apart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. that she
2: puts out her water bucket, and she's sitting down, just kind of, like, twiddling her thumbs. Like, and, I'm
1: over this, whatever.
2: Uh, you know, it, it doesn't seem like in the scheme of filmmaking, having seven people stand somewhere and then counting down from three and saying, Walk.
1: So should we, be difficult, but we probably spent fifteen minutes with them there, and we probably got three seconds where everyone was actually in sync <laughs> doing what they should be doing, and that's the three seconds that are in the film
2: so a yeah. very challenging shot to execute
0: <laughs> uh, I love that story. It goes back to something that um, I think is common in your work is you sort of see these moments that are so visually stunning, the composition is beautiful. In this case, you have something that you set up so deeply. And, you know, I think it would, again, it would be easy for someone to sort of um, glaze over that moment as if like, oh, cool, they happened to be there while those women were doing that. That must be common. Um, <laughs> but the, the work and the effort they had to put into that to be able to, to pull that off, to even get women down there, but then much less to get them, um, to, to be on the same page for three seconds, to be, to be wearing the various colors, to be, um, you know, placed in a symmetrical way on the steps. Like, uh, you know, it just goes to show like, you can't write off all these various things to, Oh wow, they got a good budget. So they got to travel over there and they got the shots like, there's just so much more that goes into it than yeah, that.
2: Yeah, I think we probably paid them like 75 bucks or something, all the ladies. We had them do it twice. And by the time we yeah. left, we really didn't even know if we had a second of usable content. But we just knew, like, we just can't be asking them to do this anymore. These are steep. This is awkward. The, those ladies
1: were hustlers, man. Because <laughs> <laughs> they tell you, oh, yeah, we'll do it for a dollar or two. And then
2: and the price increases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah. <laughs> you're like, now you're paying for the pots too. Cause oh yeah, we had to buy again. the water pots,
2: which we didn't know. And I'm like, these are beautiful, nice. but what are we going to do with these?
0: <laughs> <laughs> can't put them back on the plane. Yeah. yeah so. <laughs> Anyways. That's awesome. There was another shot that stood out to me. I think it was probably in a woman's house. There was a looked like maybe a mother and a daughter. The woman's crying. Um, it's a close up shot. Yeah. You know what I'm talking uh-huh. about? That's actually, uh, t- sorry, go ahead. No, was, tell me about that. that. That's kind of a unique situation you found yourself in. So tell me about yeah, that.
1: Yeah, so obviously, you know, most of the footage in this film is not scripted. That was literally just one moment to step well that we just felt like in order to make that, see, that shot work that we needed to uh, control that environment a little bit more. But yeah, the shot that you're referencing uh, is, sorry, I'm just uh, fixing this mic here. The shot you're referencing is actually from our Hurricane uh, Harvey documentary. And uh, it was before the Harvey documentary came out, but we had the footage already captured. And it's just this moment where uh, this woman whose house has been completely demolished and they've already gutted it because all the wood is rotting and mildewing uh, and everything's moldy.
2: And all of her family is like, you know, Several generations of people are staying in tents in the front yard out in Roshron, Texas.
1: Yeah, and it's this wow. little community that was basically forgotten about uh, because it's not within the city limits. And it's basically right. just called, like, Little Cambodia. And uh, we had heard um, that this was going on, and so we immediately rushed out there. And uh, we had one person kind of showing us around who you actually see in the Hurricane Harvey documentary. Uh Anyways, but, uh, this moment is just sort of her, the woman that was showing us around that was contributing a lot of her time and energy and her feeling completely helpless, like that she can't mm. help this woman anymore and that they, yeah. their families are interconnected. Uh, they know each other pretty closely and intimately. And so she's like, I'm sorry, I can't do more in the woman's house who, who uh, they're visiting. She's older, you know, in her 50s, and she just kind of breaks down uh, crying in that moment, and uh, it's just a really raw and uh, intimate and vulnerable kind of moment that kind of, you know, in, in cap- it sort of you know, plays on that. Wh- the whole film is just sort of this mosaic of uh, human emotion and experience, mm-hmm. and it feels felt like you know you can't only show these beautiful and inspiring moments you have to show that side of the human experience uh, the sadness humanity. that
2: maybe evokes that yeah as well
0: mm. yeah i love that and another thing that was standing out to me is you clearly did some sort of african safari as a part of all this mm-hmm. Um, tell me, yeah. Tell me about that experience.
1: Yeah. So yeah, basically all this footage I would say was shot over a two year period. Mm -hmm. Um, but that, but everything was like things were done for different reasons and originally, but, uh, they kind of all found their final purpose, um, in this film. So that was part of a project that we did for a luxury, uh, travel group um, Hmm. that, uh, does these high end travel experiences for their guests and very curated. Um, you know, you're in Africa, but there are these very fancy tents that, uh, you know, have full service, everything, and, you know, really nice plush beds and, beautiful design elements all inside.
2: But you're camping but you're like camping. in the you're, Serengeti. You're, it's so like it's glamping.
1: Very to like glamping. The highest degree. Glamping. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we did a, a promo film for them. We kind of pitched them kind of on the same idea, just like, hey, you guys don't have this. You you would benefit from it. You're charging 10K plus. Just Why are
2: you showing photos to that. show this experience? Why are four photos selling this? You need videos for this.
1: Yeah. So yeah, we, we knew that was something that we loved doing was traveling and kind of capturing this kind of Nat Geo stuff, and uh, that this would be a great opportunity. So just trying to find a vehicle or a uh, a sponsor to kind of facilitate that. And so yeah, nice. we made that little promo film for them, but uh, within the contract, you know, we made sure that we owned the rights to all the footage, um, and therefore that yeah. gave us the ability to kind of use it wherever we saw fit.
2: Yeah, you know, it was it was two weeks of traveling through all these different areas of Africa, and so we had so much content because you know these are photographic safaris, and so everything you're seeing is just absolutely beautiful and unlike anything you've really seen before. Um, so yeah,
1: I think for a-
0: that's awesome. That's one of okay. the things I was going to actually ask, or as you were talking about this, is like. It sounds like with all these different projects, so many of them are intertwining, whether it's like the weddings or, you know, this, um, you know, this, this travel company, Um, like you've got to, if you're going to like ever have some sort of epic project where you move everything together like this, because this kind of, uh, honestly, like as much as it is for the Alan Watts Foundation, it's also like an epic reel Mm -hmm. for you guys, you know, so like retaining the rights to the footage, man, that's just... Like, you couldn't, you couldn't do this if you hadn't done yeah, that. Mm-hmm. So. exactly.
1: Exactly. And I think for us, just, like, I think this film is sort of a byproduct of just whatever opportunity we saw, we kind of seized and just sort of really pushed to make projects happen that, like, wouldn't have happened if we were waiting for people to, like, knock on our door. Like, we yeah. just um, – or if there was an opportunity, we tried to exponentially capitalize on it. Even with yeah. Mark Watts, um, you know, wanting to grant us the license to the audio for our Singapore wedding film, this film could, e- this dream of life film that uh, we're even talking about, could easily not even happen um, had we not really pushed to facilitate it. So,
0: yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Um, okay, so one of the other things I wanted to talk about is. As I'm watching the film, I'm watching, it is, uh, it's, it's such a huge collection of work. Like you said, 10 countries over two years. Um, at the same time that we're moving quickly from one place to another, from one culture to another, um, you know, back and forth across the globe, there are these, these sequences that we get, um, these glimpses of throughout the film that give it a sense of cohesion. So talk to me more about what your process is when it comes to sequencing things like that. Are you really thinking about that deeply? Are you kind of shooting for the edit in that way? Or yeah, talk to me about the process of of these sequences.
1: I think once we're in the editing room, we're really trying to play off of the music and play off of the words. Yeah. And that's what kind of creates a cohesiveness um, to some degree. And then knowing in certain moments where like it slows down, well, then we can bring it back to like eight different portraits of people from all these different countries. So that kind of shows this kind of uh, universal fabric. Um, but I think it, in a situation like this where we've shot footage from so many different countries for so many different and tensions to begin with outside of the Cambodian india stuff that we really had to kind of listen to what was being said and then listen to how the music was um, functioning and how we could play off of that
2: well and i think it was really helpful too that the film the the concept what we were basing everything off of was a very broad spectrum of just let's Let's show imagery about the human experience in all of its forms and shapes and backgrounds and cultures. And so you know, to have something like humanity to fall back on, um, yeah. it makes it easier to make something cohesive.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there's clearly a theme, um, a theme to the footage, and, and that being, you know being humanity, showing the the ups and downs, showing the joys, and um you know of of life and of death and and doing that through the broad stroke of of uh you know of of the cultures around the world
1: i I think Um, if we had originally executed this project with the uh with mark watts's initial concept that we wouldn't have even been able to make the film Like if it was just in Singapore and Indonesia, that content, uh, we probably just would have turned it down if if that was what he wanted, just because there's no way that could align um, to to the level and to the scale of what Alan Watts was saying, um, to where it it just would fall really flat and just feel like you're uh, not honoring his words, but not honoring the concept of the film and it just it just would have felt like a I slaps some voiceover on it and uh, here's some cool shots yeah. that I, I well, did in the city
2: and realistically there are a lot of those Alan Watts videos on the internet like if you google Alan Watts on YouTube there's tons of just uh, these shots of this pretty scenery and then Alan Watts is put on top and it's this just kind of very uh, much more straightforward kind of guided meditation kind of It also just
1: feels like a lazy way of editing almost, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, it's just like, oh, I can slap this on there and that somehow makes it edgy and, like... Or meaningful. And I felt a level of pressure that, like, okay, if we're going to take on this job and we're going to be using Alan Watts's audio, then we have to own it and we have to make it, like, the quintessential version of any of these films that use his audio. And it needs to show that there is a... not mastery but whatever like a very intent you can say Uh, mastery (laughs) a mastery of uh editing and like of intention and uh you know it really needs to feel
2: have that scope
1: yeah every detail needs to feel every moment every detail needs to uh, look like it was uh, crafted and refined and polished and that there's meaning behind it all and so that was how we went into that project, and um, that's the only way, like I f- would feel comfortable putting something out um, under his name.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love the the approach of you know when a client comes to you with an idea to be willing to say no. You know, you had the willingness to say, if that's what this is going to be. Yes, we could do this and it would probably still look pretty cool and it'd be something that, you know, you guys would still be proud of, but to say no to that in order for this much bigger vision that you had for the project, I think is uh, incredibly important because again, like without that, this film wouldn't exist. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think that's
1: the danger and blessing of being a small team is that we don't have the capacity to kind of take on any project that comes our way. Um, so it makes us a lot more intentional and just cautious as far as, you know, our time is sort of our commodity or our, you know, thing that is irreplaceable and that holds the highest value for us. And so that um, whatever project we take on, we have to be very aware that that is a large commitment of time for such a small company and um it's something that we don't have that much of. So we have to be very careful in what we choose to take on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. You know, ultimately what we, what we create is our legacy in the same way that you're able to leave this thing as a legacy for, for Alan Watts, this film, um, you know, will, will exist far beyond your lives. And to be able to sort of have that approach of, you know, that mindfulness, that intentionality with with what you create to say, you know, yes. And this is not just with the Alan Watts film. This is, of course, like with the with the Houston film. Um, you know, with the um, the film about the, the the veterans organizations. Like with, I see this intentionality with the projects that you choose to take on. That is. Um, really what you want to be your legacy and so i think that's just beautiful and i love your your approach to that with your business and with your life um, it, it comes it comes through shining in a pretty pretty amazing way
1: thanks brother it means a lot to hear you say that
0: yeah no doubt just trying to well, get
1: it. to do something i don't really know <laughs> making, making sense of it as it comes along but we're stumbling through it all no doubt.
0: Well, uh, I want to get back into the, the film and stop, um, stop making you blush too much here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, I love, I love your approach to, to hyperlapses and you take a really unique approach. It's something that you do a lot of, um, first of all, um, which is uh, which is rare you know we see a lot of time lapses and and those are cool and you use those too but your use of hyperlapses is unique in a lot of ways particularly in this film because there's times where you have the the very um, you know fluid time lapse whether it's with a drone or you know um, kind of a more stabilized rig and then there's other times where it appears you did a hyperlapse maybe even handheld um, at times or or just moving on the ground. Talk to me about sort of your your thoughts and your approach, um, some of the why behind um, behind your creation of those shots.
2: Are there some specific ones that you're thinking about?
0: Oh. Well, there's, there's quite a bit in this film. Uh, I guess there was one on the, that seemed like it was a sort of a, an, it looked like you were on the ground, and I don't know whether you're walking, whether you're using a monopod, and kind of what your technique was there, but you were shooting up at some um, some building, uh, are you, are you familiar with the shot I'm talking about?
1: Mm, is it like a historical building or is it a modern? Yes. Building? Yeah. Okay. A historical building. Yeah. So I think that might've been the side of the Taj Mahal, I think.
0: Okay. Um,
1: but it doesn't look like it's the Taj Mahal since it's not like the graphic, like obvious quintessential exactly. angle. Of the right. Taj Mahal. It has
0: much more, much tighter detail. Yeah, it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I think that was just me on a, a crane gimbal at the time okay. and mm-hmm. uh i think i was just shooting uh video i wasn't even time lapsing it okay and i was just moving very very slowly and uh i sped it up in post um i think a lot of uh how we shoot spaces is just okay this is an inanimate object like let's think of eight different ways, different perspectives or different ways that I can interact with this object or space. And so, you know, we're gonna shoot it very graphic. We're gonna shoot uh, time lapses of it. We're gonna go in the back of the Taj Mahal at 6 a.m. and there's a guy that takes a boat across once a day. We're gonna get in the boat with him and shoot him with the Taj Mahal in the background. Uh, basically you know just every object let's think of all the ways we can interact with it and shoot it uh the best we can so then therefore it's like okay let's do some pushes in uh you know and kind of create that hyperlapse feel we're in a using a very minimal rig we don't have the amount of time to do a true hyperlapse Um, you can't use tripods in the Taj Mahal Mm -hmm. so there are all these like limitations that kind of force you to kind of think outside the box or use the tools that you do have. And so you can just kind of get crafty in those scenarios. Um, And then once we're in the edit as well, like there's certain moments that like, uh, there's a moment where, uh, you know, I think we're always thinking about it while we're shooting, but like going down long uh, symmetrical hallways and with a gimbal and then like, you know, you can speed that up in post but then, okay, right. how do I transition that into a next shot? And then I'm looking through all my catalog of footage. And uh, oh, this shot, this next shot that is from a completely different country or a different time kind of feels like it, it it works with the same symmetry so or it has the same feeling. So I go down that hallway, I use that shot, that I and I speed it up to feel like a hyperlapse. And the next shot is just some graffiti on a wall of um, some, like – uh, what are the Sadhi, sadhus? A sidu It's like a spiritual uh, kind of loner uh, guy who gave up all his possessions and, and uh, Varanasi. But it's just a piece of graffiti with him on the wall and there's like mm-hmm. a spiral in his head. Uh, and so when I shoot that, I uh, zoom into it as I'm shooting it. And so then you pair that hyperlapse down the hallway into this shot of a fast zoom in that I did in camera of this graffiti that goes into this guy's head. And then yeah. uh the next shot is this woman from above in a hotel who's doing a dance and she's spinning, but I, I shoot yeah. it graphically directly above her and I do the same thing. I zoom in to her as I'm shooting it in camera, but allow the camera to kind of spin uh as I zoom in. And so uh you start pairing all these images together that have some sort of common theme. Oh, this and,
2: continuation of
1: movement. Yeah, continuation of movement and graphicness. Yeah. Um, and then you start having uh, uh, this cohesiveness and you do it really fast together. And it, it just kind of, uh, I don't know, it just works,
0: I guess. Yeah. Wow. I love that. I'm so eager to actually go back and watch this again. Just after having this conversation, I am like, <laughs> I have so much more insight into what went behind this. I'm like eager to go watch it again. I'm definitely going to do that once we get off the call. Yeah.
1: That might have sounded really abstract to anyone that was <laughs> watching or sorry,
0: listening, but
1: I swear in my head. No, I totally, I, made I was sense. right there with you.
0: No, I was right there falling with you. And I'm, now, I'm now like, Oh wow. Yeah. That's now I want to go watch it again just so I can kind of experience it as you're, Sort of processing it in your mind. So that's awesome. Cool. Uh, One of the other things, and this was, I remember actually when I first, when I did watch it for the very first time, this stood out to me, and it it always does each time I watch it again, is the way that you ended the film um, with the kid dancing and the the mask, uh, sort of this deity-like mask uh, that this kid is wearing. Is this something that you that, you know most of uh, most of you, these shots you say you didn't stage? Is this something that you planned because it is it does tie the film together in so much of a in such a strong way because the film is so much um, you know the the passage from from Alan Watts being so much about the the uh, interconnectedness of um, of God and man and so I think that this this um, you know, this kid at the end with the godlike mask really ties things together and wraps it up in such a beautiful, compelling way that really, you know, drives home um, exactly what the point of all this mm-hmm. is. So tell me about that shot.
2: That that was another unscripted shot. That was from uh, some of our Harvey really? footage, just these kids uh, mm. playing in the fields outside of the farmlands of Rosharan. And uh, we were just kind of filming their community and this kid was just wearing this mask, playing with nunchucks. And uh, in our Harvey <laughs> film, he kind of became a symbol for the hurricane. But in this mm. film, it was really obvious that it was the perfect symbol for uh, maybe people recognizing who they are under the mask of their own ego and identity. Exactly like you said, it it just really tied everything together in a way that, you know, we, we didn't plan for. We didn't even have this... Uh, this project in mind, this shot in mind, um, but it was in the editing room that you just saw a use and an obvious metaphor, visual metaphor.
1: Yeah, I think Alan Watts at the end of it says something like, uh, "Like you were born as this like God-like being, and then throughout like growing up, you, you forget or like you're ashamed, and you realize that that's uh, you think that's an illusion, but." Really, you're still that godlike being, um, and so just yeah, symbolically that deity, you know, taking off his mask, and you know, it's this little boy. Um, yeah, I think we were driving. We had already shot everything. We were totally gassed, exhausted, and we were driving off. And I saw that kid playing, and we we're like, Whitney and I just like just both looked at each other, and we're like, we have to capture that. That feels like such a symbolic, like, representation yeah. of this storm in that moment. Um, so yeah, he saw us come up to him, we're holding a movie, you know, so he's aware of our presence. We just kind of like lay low key and just kind of hang out. They kind of ignore us for a little while.
2: I played with all the little girls. Yeah, they start
1: playing again. (laughs) And then, you know, he's a little shy and like, yeah, I just love to shoot you, you know, doing your nunchucks thing you were just doing. And so all his friends come around and, you know, they're all embarrassed, but he starts doing it. And I'm like, hey, do you mind if I just get one shot of you uh, taking off your mask? You know, that you're playing with. And uh, he's like, yeah, okay. And he just took it off and looked at the camera, and you know, that, that was it. Wow. Yeah. But it made all it all came together, you know, in the edit, like, uh, yeah. Just calling through footage and then listening to what was being said, and just it's all yeah. a giant jigsaw puzzle or Rubik's cube, and you know, it all comes together over time. The more you finesse it, yeah.
0: Ah, I love that. I love, I love just the the way that that things sort of almost magically come together because of the 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 hard work. It's it's the shot, like you said. You know, you're you're done for the day. You're wiped. You're ready to get out of there, um, but again, the dedication to the craft, the dedication to the project, to the story, ends up being, to me, like, as much as, like, so many of the other shots are so visually stunning and compelling, to me, it's like that that's the shot that just brings everything together and just makes makes the whole piece work, Um, and you didn't even necessarily know that when you're filming it, Mm -hmm. Um, but... You know that just ends up being the case. Yeah. Um. That sort of just magically comes together that way as you've put forth uh, so much energy over the course of you know two years on this project. So I love that. Wow.
1: Thanks, man. Yeah, and I think if you don't have those image sound syncs in that project, that it would just feel too ambiguous and it would have felt too abstract. So especially at the end and in certain moments, like there had to be those. Hits you like in the mouth. Sync points that like, you know, really screams like intentions. So, I, I mean, half of, I think what we do as artists is luck, um, and maybe not half. Maybe a yeah. Third. But there, there is. <laughs> there I say, what does he say? There is luck ten percent. Yeah, there if is we're luck that lucky, involved.
2: We should chill a little more. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there is a little luck involved, and there's also just like. Uh, a, uh, being prepared, you know, and yeah. uh, and a sense of determination, and just you know, always wanting to get the shot. But I think um, being prepared, whether it's um, ahead of a shoot or and uh, anticipating a moment, um, or being willing to kind of go the extra the extra mile to to get a shot because you know eventually it's going to benefit you. Um, being prepared and luck. Like they're complete opposites of each other, but they both yeah. like have so much to do with what with the content you're able to generate and create.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Well, is there anything else that I should have asked about this film that I overlooked?
2: I don't think so.
0: I mean, there's so much more I could dive into. We are. Uh, at the hour mark here, but if there's anything yeah. else that you'd want to say about I, the I about think, the edit or about the process, yeah. I'd love to hear.
1: Sure, I think just like in a lot of the shots, you'll just see uh, a level of intimacy and vulnerability, and um, the the characters or people—they're <laughs> not characters; they're real people, obviously. Um, and I think it's it's hard. With a camera to be invisible and Mm -hmm. as a viewer you're just seeing what I'm seeing Um, and so you accept that sort of suspension of disbelief that there's not a camera that's creating that image that you're looking at you're just seeing it as like a viewer experience but that person that looks so wrapped up within their moment Um, or so willing to kind of allow their vulnerability to to be seen uh, is staring at me, you know, or Whitney, and we're holding a camera. So just that transaction of uh, energy or trust um, or just them being eventually bored of us being in the space to where they get over us, um, that's so much a part of that exchange and allowing stuff to come across as, as being, um, as if we weren't there. And, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a pretty cool thing to, to experience and pull off. But I think it's, uh, uh, like a art form, not art form. It's, it's just something that you have to be cognizant of and, and try to, uh, achieve. So just, yeah, your relationships with, um, your subjects and the environments that you interact with, whether it's on weddings or whether it's on commercial projects or documentaries, um, how you interact with your environment and people around you um, makes a very big difference in the content that you're going to be able to capture and that other people are going to see on screen.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, you guys, thank for, again for spending so much time with us. This was such an incredible film that deserves far more than an hour-long podcast, but I'm so grateful for you guys spending this hour with us to dive deep into it because um, I think it helps helps our viewers appreciate so much more of the film that you've made, but also um, I think will sort of reframe the way that we think about our shoots, whether it's on a wedding day and going the extra mile to get that extra shot, spend all the extra time on, on the B roll that, you know, when we're exhausted, um, from a full day's worth of work and we see something that we, we don't put the camera down yet that we go and get that extra shot, whatever the case is, whether it's at a wedding or, or with a corporate film, with a documentary, with a personal project, whatever it is that this is just that inspiration to always go the extra mile because in this case it clearly paid off in incredible ways. I know that you guys, um, not just, not just in the fact that you won such a prestigious award with this film, but I'm certain that, you know, putting something like this out into the world has led to, um, so many other great projects that I'm sure you guys could talk for, uh, for another hour on, on what this film has done for you guys. (laughs) <laughs> um and, and contacts that has led you to but uh that's for another show so <laughs> yeah, we'll be happy to
1: come back on anytime man thanks for bringing us on yeah
0: awesome well thanks again you guys hope you guys have an excellent evening and we'll talk again soon
2: yeah we'll look forward to the next one
0: awesome
1: honored to have your time man and thanks for everyone for listening and uh let's keep this podcast and this uh community alive It doesn't happen without you guys and uh Jordan and, and everyone—they uh, definitely need your support. So,
0: thanks, man. Awesome, thanks. The Wedding Film Academy podcast is produced by Taylor Juarez. If you found this episode helpful, be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show, and help us out by leaving a five-star review on iTunes. And when you're done, head on over to WeddingFilmAcademy.org to chat with our other wedding filmmakers like yourself in the comments section. Until next
1: time, keep making movie magic.